1: Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian. If you're a newcomer with us, we are so glad that you are here. We'd love the opportunity uh, to connect with you. If you're here in Prescott, out in the lobby off to the right, we have a place we call Pastor's Point. I'll be hanging out there after the service. Uh, For those of you at our PV campus, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Our pastors will also be connected. Uh, You can connect to our pastors out at Connection Central there in the PV campus. Campus, they'd love uh, to 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 meet you today as well, and we'll welcome all of our online campus from whenever and wherever you are. Uh, so glad to have you with us today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Matthew chapter twenty. Matthew twenty, is where we're going to begin today, um, and. We are continuing this series we've been in for the last several weeks where we're walking through some of the parables of Jesus. These parables are stories that Jesus told. They are some of his most famous teachings, but they're also some of his most confusing teaching, which was the point. They were meant to conceal truth from those who did not want to hear truth. They were meant to conceal it from those who did not have ears to hear or hearts that were open to Jesus. But they were to reveal truth, to those who did have ears to hear. And so we're going to be diving into one of those parables today. And today, the whole parable is about God's grace. Now, here's what I know. If you are a Christian, you understand the good news of God's grace, you have been impacted by the gospel, then you are all in on God's grace. In fact, let me just by show of hands today, wherever you are, um, if you are grateful for the grace of God in your life, just raise them up. Just if you're grateful for God's grace, of course, right? If you get it, you get it. If you get it, you get it. We are grateful for the grace of God. Now, we are often grateful for the grace of God that is given to us But even while we can be overwhelmed by God's grace to us, many of us tend to struggle when we see people around us receive God's grace, people that we don't think quite deserve it. Like we get overjoyed with the grace that God gives to us, but we struggle sometimes with anger, sometimes with bitterness, sometimes with jealousy, We struggle when others receive God's grace, people that we don't think should get God's grace. Like, let me give you a couple of examples. For those of you, like, let me say, 40 and older, you may remember this, okay? So, do you remember the story of James Dobson and Ted Bundy? Okay? So, for those of you under 40... Ted Bundy was one of the most notorious serial killers in American history. He confessed to raping and murdering over three dozen young ladies. Most authorities surrounding his case believe he raped and murdered over 50. But he confessed to at least 36 And while he was awaiting execution on death row, James Dobson, who in the 80s was a huge figure in the Christian world, the founder of uh, uh, Focus on the Family, huge figure in the Christian world, made time to go visit and befriend Ted Bundy, share the gospel with him, and, and he will tell you, James Dobson will tell you that Ted Bundy came to faith before he was executed for raping and murdering 36 people. In other words, he, according to James Dobson, he will be in heaven with us. Now again, we're all for God's grace. We celebrate God's grace in our life, but Ted Bundy? That's hard. That's hard. Or... Let's make it a little easier. Have you ever seen someone in your life, maybe you know some people in your life, and they just seem to make bad choices for years, like year after year. Like like they wallow in their sin for decades. And then they make the decision to follow Jesus. And almost immediately, it's like all of the consequences of their sin just disappear. Like they just go away. Like everything in their life just seems to fall in place. Their family is perfect. Their business is perfect. Their health is perfect. It's like all of their struggles just go away. And again, while you celebrate the fact that they came to faith, there's part of you that would just like them to suffer a little more because of their sin like you've had to. Or you look at someone who claims to be a Christian, but they just don't take their faith seriously. Like they, they claim to be a Christian, but you look at their life and there's no discipline. There's no, it's like their faithfulness wanes, like so great from day to day. It's like they just don't seem to take their faith nearly as seriously as you do. But yet they just seem to receive all of these blessings that you've been praying for. Like they just seem to get them all. They get the ministry success that you want. They get the financial success that you want. They get the relational success that you want. They get the marriage success that you want. They get the, the exact amount of babies that you want. They get the right type of house that you want. Like all of the stuff that you've been wanting, they just seem to get. They, they, are, they followed Jesus half as long and half as well and get twice the blessings. And you're like, what? I'm all for people receiving the grace, but while I celebrate it for me, I have a hard time celebrating the grace of God when it's given to others that I don't think quite have earned it. Which, by the way, you know that's an oxymoron, right? I keep saying it. You know it's an oxymoron. When I, when I talk about grace that somebody's earned, or grace that somebody deserved. The fact of the matter is, the moment you earn it, it's no longer grace. If you think you've deserved it, you no longer get it because it's grace. Grace, by its very definition, is something you receive that you do not deserve. But that doesn't stop us, does it? It doesn't stop us from keeping a mental scorecard in our head of that person should get it and that person shouldn't. That person has earned it and that person hasn't earned it. In our parable today, what we're going to discover is we are not the first people who've been frustrated by thinking about who should get grace and who should not get grace. So today we're gonna to look at a parable in Matthew chapter 20, but we gotta we gotta back up just a little bit. We're gonna actually have to start in chapter 19. We've got to start in chapter 19 because this parable in Matthew chapter 20 is actually the response. It's a response to an encounter that Jesus had with a guy in church world that we have dubbed the rich young ruler, right? He's a young guy who was a ruler. Had a lot of money, had a lot of power, had a lot of influence. And he walks up to Jesus and he says, Hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Well, you know the commands. Just obey those. You know what they are? And the guy's like, Well, good for me, because I've done those ever since I was a kid. Jesus said, "Yeah, yeah, Yeah, but one thing you lack. Take all your possessions, sell them, and give the money to the poor, and then you can come follow me. To which the man responded, When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So he was given this opportunity. You can have Jesus, but you got to give up your stuff. And the guy says, I want Jesus, but I want my stuff. So he walks away sad because he didn't want Jesus more than his stuff. And Jesus turns to his disciples and said, Man, it's hard for rich people to get into heaven which for those of us living in the Quad Cities today, we probably ought to take that to heart. And I'm not kidding. It's hard for rich people to get into heaven. And we're among them. Peter then pipes up. Well, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Hey, Jesus, that guy didn't want to give up anything to follow you. We gave up everything to follow you. So what do we get? which Jesus actually responds, hey, actually, there are some benefits for you. You get the kingdom. You get to inherit eternal life. And when you get into the kingdom, whatever you have lost here, whether houses or family or fields, whatever you have had to give up in this life, you will get it back a hundredfold in the kingdom. You get eternal life. That's what you get, Peter. And then Jesus adds this line. But, Peter, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Which, if you just go read this, you get to this and you're like, wait, where did that come from? That was weird. I mean, it just doesn't seem to fit the flow of the conversation. Peter, you get the kingdom. But, Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then there's a chapter break in your Bible. And again, I always just feel like I need to remind you, um, Jesus didn't put that in there. It's not like he said this line and then said, and now chapter 20. He didn't do that. Matthew didn't put that in there as he was documenting this whole encounter. Your beloved Bible publisher put that in there for you so you could find stuff. But what we find in chapter 20 is an outflow of this whole encounter in chapter 19. How do we know? Because it begins with our favorite word, for. And every time you see the word for, you always got to ask, what is it there? For, right? It's a connecting word reminding us that what is about to happen is a response to what just happened. So, Jesus says, many who are first will be last, many who are last will be first, Peter. For... The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So this is a parable that Jesus is telling primarily to his disciples. He's trying to reveal truth to his disciples through this parable. And again, it's a simple story that everybody could understand all the disciples knew what it was to be a landowner who had a vineyard and needed workers when harvest time comes all the grapes are turning quickly you got to go get workers for the field and during harvest time you need extra workers the regular guys just ain't going to cut it because these grapes can die and rot on the vine we're making wine not raisins we got to get these Grapes off the vine, and so he needs extra workers. So he goes out to the marketplace very early in the morning to find extra workers to get the harvest in. Now, it says very early in the morning. The workday in this uh, society went from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12-hour workday. So imagine this landowner is going to the place where the day laborers are hanging out. These are day laborers. We have a place like that here in Prescott. If you know where it is, you can know that you can always go there, and there's usually three or four guys standing there just waiting for somebody to come by and pick them up, to go do some yard work, to go help build a fence or take out some shrubbery, whatever it is. These are unskilled day laborers. They have a gathering place at the market, and the the landowner goes to that place to hire them. Okay? Okay. These are men without a steady job. They don't have a place to go for the day. They don't have steady income. They literally are living from hand to mouth. I worked today so I can eat tonight. I need a job today. i got to get paid today so I can feed my children tonight. And so they go and they're ready. They're waiting for somebody to come along and offer them a job. And so the landowner shows up. And he says, I've got a job. You want to work? Yes, I want to work. i got to feed my family tonight. Well, I've got a job. It's in the vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius. Now, a denarius was a single Roman coin, and it was what was given to Roman soldiers. A Roman soldier every day was given one denarius, which means this was actually what skilled labor was paid. I mean, this is a pretty good... For an unskilled laborer, this is a good deal. This is what a skilled laborer was paid, was a denarius. That was a day's worth of work for a day's worth of pay. And the landowner says to these unskilled laborers, Hey, I'll give you a denarius. Go work in the field. I'll give you one day's worth of pay for one day's worth of work. And they jump at the opportunity because now they get to feed their family tonight. And they head off to the field to work story continues. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. For whatever reason, the landowner goes back to the marketplace at 9 a.m. to find more workers. Now, there are some who say, That he needed more workers because the first workers just weren't quite cutting it. There are some who say he had to go find more workers because there was just so much work. He just had to keep getting workers to do all of the work. There are some who say the the landowner was just going back to find more workers just to be generous with these other workers. The truth of the matter is, it's a made-up story. It didn't actually happen. Jesus just making up a story. And sometimes we want to add detail to the story. It doesn't matter why he's going to get more workers. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is he went back to get more workers. And the reason he's going to get more workers is a point he's going to share with us later. Okay, It's a much bigger point of why he went to get more workers. He goes back to the marketplace. It's now a quarter of the way through the workday. It's 9 a.m. We're 25% through the work day. And he sees some men standing around. They're doing nothing. He says, look, you want to get paid? You want to do some work? Yeah, we need to feed our families too. Then go to the vineyard. Go get into the field. And he promises, I will pay you whatever is right. The first group, he promised, I will give you a denarius. He doesn't make that promise to these guys. That would not be an expectation for these guys. They have already missed out on a quarter of the workday. They would not expect to get a full day's worth of pay and not work a full day's worth of work. So he says, I'll pay you what is right. And they'll take it because they got to feed their families tonight. They got to work. You don't work, you don't eat. And so they went off to the field. Story continues. He went out again, about noon and about three in the afternoon. And he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, "Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing?" Well, because nobody's hired us," they answered. He said to them, "You also go and work in my vineyard." For those of you who are around at the beginning of the series, I said, "Jesus always tell these, tells these parables. And they're always a reflection of real life, but not always a reflection of reality. In other words, a landowner who has a vineyard hiring workers for the field, paying a day's wage for a day's... That's all real life. But this is not reality. Like the landowner going back at noon, like halfway through the day, going back at three, now we're 75% through the workday going back at 5 with literally 1 hour left on the clock. That's just not reality. Landowner's not going to do that. It's not it's not reality. He says to those standing, you go too. You want you want to get paid then go to the field. No landowner is going to do that. So again, this parable is set in real life but not set in reality. Jesus Is exaggerating to make a point. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. So six o'clock, the whistle blows. All the workers come out of the field and they line up. They're all ready to get paid, and the fact that they're getting paid at the end of the day is not just a custom for the culture, it's actually commanded by the law of God. Deuteronomy chapter 24, God gave this command to the Israelites, "...do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns." Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and they are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. So, when the landowner's paying these guys, it's because that's what the Lord required. So, in Jesus' made-up story about this landowner, the landowner is obedient to the law because, again... It's hand to mouth. If they don't work, they don't eat. You don't get to tell the worker, well, if you come back and work tomorrow, then I'll pay you for your work today or I'll pick it up at the end of the week. No, no, no. They work today. They get paid today so they can feed their family today. But there was one curious instruction that the landowner gave to the foreman. He says to the foreman, hey, hey, go get everybody and pay them, but here's what I want you to do. The ones who came to work last... I want you to pay them first. And the ones who came to work first, I want you to pay them last. And so that's what they do. And then comes the punch of the story. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. These guys who were standing around doing nothing all day, who came in literally at the 11th hour. They came in at 5 o'clock, knowing the workday ends at 6 o'clock. They come up, and they're ready to get paid. They hold out their hand, and the foreman drops a denarius in their hand. you just got to know at this point, they explode with joy. I mean, they are overwhelmed that the landowner would pay them a denarius. They've worked an hour, and yet they've been given the pay of someone who's worked all day long. They are so overjoyed at the fact that they got a denarius. It was a generous wage for an unskilled worker who worked all day, and these guys have just worked an hour. This is an act of gracious generosity. So, when those who so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. So think about these guys who are standing in the back. They've been there since 545, and they're watching what's happening. And they see the guy who worked an hour get a denarius for an hour's worth of work. These guys in the back of the line are thinking, oh, my goodness, it is going to be a good day. I mean, they can do math. That guy worked an hour and got a denarius. I've worked 12, 12 hours today. I'm going to... 12, they're high fiving each other. I mean, 12, den- he's paying a denarius an hour? Woo, this is gonna be amazing. I get 12 denarius for one day, that's two weeks worth of wages for one day's worth of work. Oh my goodness, this is gonna be great. But each one of them also received a denarius. They get to the front of the line and they hold out their hand, and the foreman drops in the same denarius that the one hour guy got. Again, I just want you to pause for a second. Whenever you read these, just try to put yourself, feel what they're feeling. Imagine you're one of these guys who've been there all day. You put in your 12 hours. How do you think you would have felt if you had worked all day and received the same pay as the guy who worked for an hour? You would not be happy. It doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter if you're on a painting crew. Doesn't matter if you're a lawyer. Doesn't matter if you're a teacher. Doesn't matter if you're a dental hygienist. Doesn't matter if you're a contractor. Doesn't matter if you're an accountant. It doesn't matter what you do. If you worked 12 hours and got paid the same as the guy who worked an hour for doing the exact same job, you would be really upset. These guys are upset, and they're going to let the landowner know about it. When they received the denarius, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour. In other words... I know you've been gone, you've been work, you've been in and out all day, it ain't like you out in the field, you've been in and out all day. Maybe you didn't realize they're landowner. Those guys you just paid a denarius to, they've only worked one hour. And you made them equal to us. You made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. It isn't even like these guys came in at three in the afternoon when it's smoking hot and we needed a bit of a break and some reinforcements would have been helpful. No, no, no. They came at five when the breeze off the water comes flowing in. It's the cool of the day. Now you, they ain't even they. They picked five grapes. They got like five grapes in their bucket. You see all of this over here that was harvested? That was us, and we did this all stinking day during the heat of the day. Like they don't even have grape stains on their hands yet. And you made them equal to us. I mean, they're upset. And I get it. And you should get We would be upset too. But the landowner doesn't see it that way. But he answered one of them. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. The landowner hears the complaint of these guys, and he snaps back. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. When you see that word friend, don't think friendly. This is not friendly. This is like when you say, getting a heated dude, guys, you've done this. You had that moment where it's kind of bowing up with another guy, and you're like, hey, man. Or just back up, bud. Right? They ain't your bud. This is the same word, remember Jesus was in the garden and Judas is leading the troops to come arrest Jesus on the night before he died. And Jesus looks at Judas and says, hey, do what you came to do, friend. It's not friendly. He snaps back at these guys and says, look, I'm not being unfair to you. And then he reminds them of what happened 12 hours earlier. Hey, you you remember this morning when I showed up at the marketplace and you were standing around just begging for somebody to come hire you, just looking for somewhere to work, and I said, hey, why don't you come work for me and I'll pay you a denarius. And you were like, oh, I'm all in. Let's do that. Please hire me for today. I'll work for a denarius. Yes. He says, look, I'm not being unfair to you. I've done for you exactly what I promised to. I gave you exactly what we agreed to. Weren't you happy with my offer of a denarius for a day's work 12 hours ago? Yeah. Well, then take your denarius and go. I've done exactly what I told you I was going to do. And then we get to see the heart of the landowner put on display. He says, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. I want to do that. I want to. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? The, the, the workers who were hired first are like, it's not right. It's not right that you would pay them what you paid us. It's not right that you'd make them equal with us. It's not right. And, and the landowner's like, wait, wait, you want to talk about rights? Whose rights are really being trampled on in this moment? You agreed to work for this amount of money. I gave you exactly what we agreed to. I have not wronged you. I have done right by you. However, who's getting their rights trampled on? Don't I have the right to do with my money whatever I want? Don't I have the right to pay whatever I want to whomever I want for whatever reason I want? Isn't it my money? Don't I have the right To be generous if I want? And then he hits us right between the eyes. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And there it is. There's the issue. Are you envious because I'm generous? Whenever we look at others and we're upset because we see God's grace being poured out into their lives in ways that we don't think they deserve, what's really happening in that moment is we are being envious because God is being generous to them. We're being envious. Of God's generosity. Because we've worked longer. And we've worked harder. And we've been more faithful. And we've been more committed. Because we've been sacrificing more. And serving more. And so we expect more. And God looks at us. And he says. Have I not given you everything I've promised you? Have, have I not given to you everything that we agreed from the very beginning, have I not kept my word to you? Have I somehow reneged on a deal that, we were, that we've made that I forgot about? No. Are you being envious? Because I'm being generous? And then Jesus ends this little teaching with the disciples with the phrase he started the teaching with. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Chapter 19 ended with this phrase, except in the end of chapter 19, he said, and many who are last will be first, and many who are first will be last, but now he just drops the many, and he just makes it a definitive statement. The last will be first, and the first will be last. And again, we read that and you say, well, what does that mean? What does that even mean? What's he talking about when he says that? In the context of this story, and that's where we have to put it because it it brackets this story. What's What's it mean? In the context of this story, what it means is, it does not matter when you cross the line. It only matters that you cross the line. It doesn't matter if you're first across or last across. If there's no last or first, if there's no first or last, essentially what it means is once you cross the line, everybody's equal. The prize is the same for everybody who crosses the line. It doesn't matter when you cross. And again, remember the context. Jesus told the parable in response to Peter saying, Lord, He didn't want to give up everything to follow you, but we've given up everything to follow you. So, what are we going to get, Lord? What are we? What's in it for us? We've given up more than anyone and everyone up until this point. What do we get? And Jesus says, You get the kingdom. You get to inherit eternal life. But, 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 the first will be last and the last will be first. In other words, the meaning is simple. When it comes to the kingdom, If you answer the call to serve in the kingdom, it doesn't matter if you start in the first hour or the 11th hour, you too will get what is promised for all who are in the kingdom, no matter how long you're in. It doesn't matter if you're Mother Teresa or Ted Bundy, it doesn't matter if you're Jim Elliott or Jim Baker. It doesn't matter if you are the Apostle John who served the Lord with suffering and sacrifice for 70 years or you're the criminal on the cross who snuck in with, with 70 minutes to spare. It doesn't matter. When you accept the invitation to join serving the King, you get all that is promised for those in the kingdom. And we... Should celebrate. We should celebrate whenever we see God being generous with his grace because we too are recipients of God's generous grace. We have all been saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. It is not by works, so that no one can boast. And every time we get to see God generously pour grace on those who don't deserve it, it is a reminder to us that we receive grace we don't deserve. And we should celebrate that. So here's how I want to wrap up today. I want to wrap up by reminding the King is inviting all of us. Come, come, come on in. Come be a part of this. Maybe you've been standing around for 50 years. You two right now are getting an invitation. Come into the vineyard. And I'll pay you what is right. That's the promise. Everyone is invited to come and to serve. And the invitation's open from the first hour to the 11th hour. Until the end of this age, to the end of time, or the end of your time. And, and here's the thing. Unlike these people in this story, we don't know when the whistle's going to blow. Like at 5 o'clock, they knew we got one hour. That's it. That's The whistle's going to blow at 6 and everybody's going to get paid and go home. We don't know when the whistle's going to blow for us. We don't know if you're going to make it till Jesus comes back. We don't know if you're going to get called up before he comes back. You don't know if you're in your third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, or if this is the 11th hour and you got 27 minutes to go. You don't know. Which is why we can't count on the 11th hour, because this may be the 11th hour for you. So we have to accept the invitation when we hear it. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered to Jesus, you've never joined the King in his work, then I invite you to do that today. At both of our campuses, down front, our prayer team will be available at the end of service. As everybody else is heading out, you can head down and let our prayer team help you figure out what it means to take the next step in following Jesus. But for those of you who are in the vineyard and you've been there for a long time, you've been working, here's, the, here's the, the application for you. Every time you see God's grace being poured out on somebody, when you see the denarius dropping in somebody's pocket who's only been in it for 15 minutes, your heart should explode with gratitude. Because you get to serve a God who's generous. And you can celebrate that his grace is being poured out on others just like it has been poured out on you. Let it be a reminder that you serve a generous God. Who's generous with grace. And you are so grateful for it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for the grace that we have received. And I pray that this week you would open up our eyes to see where you're pouring out grace into other people's life. And that it would stir up just a celebratory gratitude in us. Because we know what it's like to get what we don't deserve because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.